you. Well, my friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ to chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. I was a pretty young fellow when I first heard this, and it's kind of stuck with me a little bit. I, th- I think it was a, it's a quote from Joe Lewis, the boxer. He says, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Is that true of you? Who wants to go to heaven? Yeah! Who wants to die? Hmm. What does that say about us? Perhaps that we are holding on to the things of this world maybe a smidge too tightly. And maybe because of it, we are not doing the things that bring glory to God, the change that takes place that God, when God empowers his children, it was first, uh, first Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Peter says, expect it. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Today, my friends, we're going to study about a time in the future where there is unparalleled suffering going on. Everyone is a part of it, particularly, my friends, in this passage, the people of God. And remember that suffering is a tool in God's hands to accomplish his purpose. And see, the question perhaps that you and I need to answer is, how far are you willing to go in obedience to God? I mean, what are you really willing to give up in this world? Time? Time is precious, my friends. You willing to give up time? Your talents? Your abilities to invest them in the kingdom? Building up the church? And there's that other T word, treasure. That which God puts in our hands and will one day hold us responsible for what we do with it. Now here we are in the book of the Revelation and every week we're going to review, my friends. You will recall in chapter 1 where we receive a divine outline of the book. And it helps us to understand, my friends, that there is chronology in this. There is everything in this book is chronological. This is a future date that will come 
And my friends, the outline is found in chapter 1 and verse 19. And that outline is right, John. Jesus is instructing the apostle John to write the things that you have seen. And if you want to know what those things are, go ahead and take a look at chapter 1. The glorified Christ. Then he says, write the things that now are. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things that now are. And what are those things? The church. And we have this snapshot of every potential condition of every church that has ever been, regardless of the country and the persuasion, my friends. The church. And then he writes this, the things which are to come. Remember that Greek phrase, metatato, the things which will soon come after. Yeah, and that's where we find ourselves in chapters 6 through 18. This period of what is commonly known as the tribulation period. And in the Bible, it is called the time of Jacob's trouble, which is, by the way, a clue that the focus of this seven-year tribulation is the nation of Israel. Very important to understand these things. And the purpose of these seven years, which is so easily missed in all of the movies, and all of the novels, and all of the exciting stories, is the purpose of this time primarily is to bring the nation of Israel into faith in Jesus. You will recall that Jesus coming in on here into the, uh, the city of Jerusalem, he was welcomed with people waving palm branches and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And do you remember what the city leaders said about that? The leaders of the nation of Israel He said, tell these people to knock it off. He used different words, but that was the meaning. Remember, Jesus said, if they close their mouths about this, the stones will cry out. Because it's true. He also said to these same leaders that rejected him, their very Messiah. He said, you will not see me again. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a faith statement. That means we accept you as the coming, the Messiah that was promised through all the Old Testament. Very son of God. And that's what's going to happen here. But I'll tell you what. One thing we all know is this seven years of tribulation is messy. It is indeed messy. So we're now at the, in, in our study here, chapter 7 puts us about the midpoint of this tribulation period. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because of the events. You will recall that at the beginning of this seven-year tribulation, there is a covenant made with the Antichrist with the nation of Israel for seven years. Daniel chapter 9 lays all of these things out for us. And right at the midpoint, the Antichrist breaks that covenant with the nation of Israel. 
And in response to that, my friends, we find ourselves in chapter 7. Now, let's get a running start, starting in chapter 6, verse 12. Very important to know what proceeds. In chapter 12 of chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 6 of verse 12, we read, When Jesus opened the sixth seal, remember the whole seal thing here? We've got these seven seals, right? And the seals are like this. I am destroyed so many pieces of paper doing this. <laughs> but what it looks like is this. There's a seal. You break that seal. That's what you get. Then you break another seal, a little more. And all of these are devastating on the planet. Take a look here. So when Jesus had opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. And the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So some serious devastation. People aren't going to overlook these events. They look up and what do they see? Nothing but darkness. Darkness. And look at verse 15, and how do people respond to that? Then the king of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and, well, and everyone, I mean, slave and free, they hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And there's a question for you here this morning. Who can stand when the wrath of God is let loose? I hope you know the answer to that, my friends. It's the people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now take a look here in chapter 7 and verse 1, where the question, who can stand when the great day of the wrath has come? And we see here, my friends, that God's people are sealed, sealed, it's with an S. God's people are sealed. There's this pause in action for the purpose of sealing the nation of Israel. Look at this, verse 1. After this... John writes, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Well, as we know, the earth is not a big cube, <laughs> nor is it flat and square. What we're talking about is directions here, north, south, east, and west. And they're holding back the four winds. And my friends, what they're saying is a storm is coming. But we're going to hold it for just a moment here. And so here they are holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power 
to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now here it is in verse 4, the identity of the sealed. Verse 4, John says, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from, and this makes it unmistakable. Who were the 144,000? Well, just keep reading for heaven's sakes. (laughs) Yeah. From every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, you wouldn't believe this, but there are some people who would even say, oh, this is the church. Well, the church isn't Israel, and Israel isn't the church. So it's not the church. Everybody, I'll take a moment so you can write that down. (laughs) Talking about the nation of Israel, which is the focus of this seven-year period of tribulation. And he sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now take note, get your calculators. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, And 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. There's a tribe missing there, my friend. It's the tribe of Daniel. Or Dan, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Any idea why? Anybody? I'm looking for a hand. We'll talk about that, but not now. We have to keep going here. Because, my friends, the point here is it is the nation of Israel whom God is sealing Now, what is the purpose of this sealing? Purpose of sealing is A, identification, and B, protection. They put a seal on the tomb when they put Jesus on it. What was the purpose? It was a Roman seal for one thing, and it was a warning to everybody, you stay out of here. This ain't your business. And that is God for his people, Israel identifying them as his and protecting them. As a matter of fact, did you know that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you are also sealed? In Ephesians chapter 1, in this run-on sentence that is so typical of the apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he, first of all, chose us in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world. So if you ever, anybody that ever comes to faith in Jesus, it is because God first chose them. You did not choose him. He chose you. It felt like you chose him. You know why? Because he chose you. And his spirit drew you into a relationship with himself. Back to the text. 
My friends, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He chose us. He adopted us into his family. Yeah. To the praise of his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose. Which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven. And things on earth. And in him. We obtained an inheritance. He chose us. He redeemed us. He adopted us. And now he has provided for us. An inheritance. It's verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory and in him here's the big one my friends when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him you were sealed with the promise holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God seals his people. They belong to me. Significant here, my friends. Well, my friends, we've seen that uh, God's people are sealed. Now, here in verse 9, we see God's servants in heaven are seeing. And after this, look at the size of the group. There is this group in heaven that is just going crazy with a praise. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. There are just so many people. What's the largest group of people you've ever been a part of? I mean, did you ever go to a football game? I've been to the University of Michigan. They have this stadium that holds 101,000 people. I think that is by far the most, uh, the largest group of people that I've ever been in the midst of. But I'll tell you, my friends, ain't nothing compared to this group of people. And this is a special group of people, my friends. Buckle up and take a look. So as I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. And he says the the origin of this group is from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. You know who these people are? They're Gentiles. And look what they're wearing standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, clothed in white robes. 
with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And look at the company of this group. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And so here are these, these innumerable peoples who are joined by all of heaven to worship God. And then comes the question of chapter 13. Well, who are these people? And one of the elders, uh, one of these 24 elders, likely representing the church, addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come? Where do they come? And, and I said to him, this is John, saying, I don't know, you know. Just tell me. <laughs> and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Well, my friends, if they came out of the tribulation, how did they get to heaven? Any ideas? They died. They died. Yeah. Remember back in chapter 6? After Jesus had opened the fifth seal, John says, I saw under under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. In other words, these people spoke up. They cared enough about the people in their family, in their workplace, the people next door, the people in their neighborhood, to borrow a phrase. And they died for it. Such is the hate for the people of God by the evil one. And they were willing to die for it. They took out the scales. And he said, well, I'm really comfy in this world. But then again, there is Jesus who died for my sin and rose from the dead. And they said, I'll live for him. And they died for it. Would you die for a testimony? Would you speak up if it cost you your life? My friends, would you speak up if it cost you your friendship with the world? If they no longer looked at you the way they do, you know. Because when you pray, well, it really just looks like you're, you know, scratching your eyebrows, right? Who hasn't rubbed eyebrows before? Every time you do that, I want you to remember this. It is a denial of Jesus Christ. It says, I will hide my faith from the world. This is me going... (laughs) why why would you deny him he chose you he saved you forgave you of your sin adopted you into his family 
He has given you a down payment on eternity, my friend, his spirit, who is a guarantee of the inheritance that is yet to come. You would, over a little discomfort, deny him? Why? It makes no sense, does it? You even agree with me. So how about this? Let's stop doing that. You know that number that is innumerable? It is people who made a stand. And there they are in the presence of God worshiping. And I'll bet you they realize even more how great a thing that God did through them by them simply making a stand. It proclaimed to the world that there is a God and he is good and he is worth it. He is worth it. Hmm. Jesus talked about it, you know. Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, Jesus says, he sat on the Mount of Olives. As a matter of fact, we, we read the same version from Mark chapter 13 this morning. This is Matthew's account. This is um, what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And it talks about what is going to happen in the future. And here's Jesus laying this out. And listen, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, thus the Olivet Discourse, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will all these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? And the end of the age. And Jesus answered him, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of the birth pains. You know about birth pains, my friends? They get more and more intense as you get to the end. And so here Jesus references this seven-year tribulation period as birth pains. All these are but birth pains, verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And that many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, don't miss this, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. In other words, someone's going to be there and they're going to preach the gospel. And apparently, people are going to believe. And then they're going to make a stand. 
and they will convict themselves in their own heart and they say, I will not be ashamed of him. I will make a stand. Doesn't mean you have to get up in people's faces about such things, my friends. What it means is you live out your faith regardless of the cost. Regardless of the cost. And now I want you to notice something very important. These people gave their lives. They laid it out. And they left behind weeping children and family members that said, why did they go down that road? Hey, just take it easy. But look at here at verse 15. Their reward. Therefore, you see that word therefore? Whenever you see the word therefore, you got to ask this question. What's it there for? And what is there for is it's tying what has previously happened with what now is following. They made a stand. They said, I will not deny the name of Jesus. And they lost their lives. But my friend, look at what they gained. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter him with their presence. He will shelter them with his presence. In other words, they are before the throne of God. In a place of honor. Because they lived. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more. And neither thirst any more. And the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, which is likely things that they suffered because their faith in Jesus. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne shall be their shepherd. Don't miss this picture here, my friends. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, it won't be, hey, send an angel over there. Help that guy out. Surely, it is worth the cost of living out our faith in Jesus and not hiding. Put it under a bushel. Well, baby, let it shine. My friend, all those whom God marks as his own will one day enter his presence forever. And some to honor Know this, you are called to testify of God's grace. Your trophies of God's grace, don't hide it. And count the cost of going, of standing up and opening your mouth and saying, you're a sinner. The wages of sin is death, but Christ died for our sin and he rose from the dead. Put your trust in him change your life 
Count the cost to go in, my friends. And people may wag their tongues at you in their heads and say, what a waste of your life. It may not be the same kind of friend they used to be. But then again, they may not be the same kind of friend they used to be. They could become a brother and sister of Christ. And maybe count the cost of not going. Because one day we're going to stand in front of Jesus. And we will give an account of what we have done with what we have learned. With the spiritual gift that we have been given. The encouragement of the people of God that surround us. And can you imagine standing in front of Jesus? What did you do with it? Well, you know, I rubbed my eyebrows. Because you know I was ashamed. My friends, get equipped and get going. God help us.